Welcome back to The Long Short, and I'm your host, Tom Keogh. The UK government has long made clear its desire to take advantage of Brexit freedoms and improve the UK's financial services regulatory framework. And in a latest step to achieve its ambitions, a package of 30 reforms, which at one stage was dubbed Big Bang 2.0, but subsequently renamed the Edinburgh Reforms, were announced by the UK's Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, last December. According to Chancellor Hunt, the reforms aim to seize the benefits of Brexit to secure the UK status as one of the most open, dynamic and competitive financial service hubs in the world. These reforms are both expansive and represent the strongest expression of divergence from EU financial services regulation by the UK to date. They include new secondary objectives for the Financial Conduct Authority and Prudential Regulation Authority of supporting medium to long-term economic growth and promoting the UK's international competitiveness, as well as amendments to banking regulation and changes aimed at the funds sector. But will they deliver real benefits for our industry? Joining me today are two of my colleagues from AMA's Government and Regulatory Affairs team, Adam Jacobstein, the Global Head of Markets, Governance and Innovation at AMA, and Paul Hale, Global Head of Tax Affairs at AMA. Gentlemen, you are very welcome to The Long Short. Good to be here. Good to be here. So, Adam, let's start with you then. What more can you tell us about these reforms? Can you briefly explain this to our listeners? Absolutely. So um, you've already given a bit of a sense of the Edinburgh reforms, but this is overall a package of reforms to the UK's financial services regulatory framework announced by the government at the end of last year. As you say, there's a huge number of individual pieces of uh, work, 30 different work streams associated with the reforms. Some are more concrete plans for change, so some uh, articulate what the government wants to do quite explicitly, and others are more exploratory projects, so they um, are intended to look at how the rules might be rewritten, but without necessarily setting a firm commitment to do so. Um, It's clear that's all going to generate a significant pipeline of work. We'll have a consultation process associated with many of the proposals through ultimately to implementation work by the firms um, that will need to implement the new requirements. Obviously, the context for the reform package is Brexit. The the UK is no longer constrained by EU law and can therefore decide how to rewrite or abandon uh, the rules that it's inherited from the EU's regulatory framework. And the government has said that by publishing the reforms, it will be in a better position to seize the benefits of Brexit. And it talks about its ambition for the UK to be the world's most innovative and competitive financial centre. I think it's probably worth saying as well up front that um, I wouldn't describe this as a bonfire of regulation. The UK is still very much focused on having sound regulatory architecture. There's still a, a big focus on financial stability, but this is more about making sure that the burden associated with regulation is not excessive. So as I say, quite a significant package of work and quite a lot of work to do for us in terms of responding to some of the consultations and looking at implementation of the uh, requirements as they ultimately get formulated. So Adam, let's then um, talk about some of these reforms and and, and those reforms in particular that are aimed at the funds sector. So which of those will be of greatest interest then to alternative investment managers? Sure. So there's, there's a few that I would highlight out of the overall package. What's interesting is that the item that generated probably the most press coverage when it came to uh, the reform package was 
plan changes to the ring fencing of banks trading operation from their retail banking arms but that's that's something that's probably quite incidental to most in the hedge fund space so there's there's quite a lot that is, is maybe getting overlooked um, from my point of view the things that are far more likely to be of consequence consequence for us would include um, firstly measures that are being advanced as part of the wholesale markets review so something that was already in train but the uh, Edinburgh reform package includes new commitments on that front. Uh, there's a big focus on quick delivery of a consolidated tape for trade data, so something that will be welcome uh, from our point of view, and also uh, uh, work to explore a move to T plus one settlement, which is a new strand of work associated with the wholesale markets review. Uh, alongside that, changes on the tax front that Paul will be addressing later. A planned review of the senior managers and certification regime. Interesting question there will be whether there's any sort of rethink of the extension of that regime into the investment management space, given that it really originated as something that was applicable to the banking sector. And I think that's something where there will be interest from industry and whether that could be scaled back. And then finally, I'd pull out the work that Treasury is currently undertaking on the UK's short selling framework. And, and from my perspective, that's probably the most obvious um, and exciting part of the Edinburgh reforms in terms of how hedge funds are regulated in terms of their UK operations. So let's go there for a minute then, Adam. What, what is the government planning then when it comes to rules regarding short selling? So they've published the call for evidence. It's a pretty wide-ranging look at the way in which the short-selling regime operates today. So it covers everything from what you have to report to the FCA, what you have to disclose publicly to the market, short-selling bans. Um, and there is, in the call for evidence, when you look through it, a real focus and acknowledgement of the existing compliance burden associated with the regime and and questions about how that could be reduced but also a, a definite focus on how the rules affect market functioning and whether they are pot potentially getting in the way of uh, efficient functioning of, of UK equity markets. And what changes then would we at AIMA like to see regarding some of the short selling proposals? So from our perspective top of the list has to be uh, removing the requirement to publicly disclose short positions. So um, for those who aren't familiar with the regime as it operates today, currently managers have to tell the market if they have a short position greater than 0.5% of the issued share capital of a particular company. And this has been a huge disincentive to having short positions of that size because as soon as you do, your competitors will know what you're doing and possibly be able to replicate your strategy and it also means that future dialogue with issuers becomes much more challenging because issuers don't like seeing their stock shorted. But uh, despite that, somebody with a short position today could in future have a, a long holding. So it's worth keeping that in mind. But it's um, also worth making the point that that reluctance to go short on account of the public disclosure rules is also harmful to market functioning because you're essentially removing liquidity from the market and that distorts the price formation process. So you are depriving the market of key liquidity and key trading interest. So that would be the area where we'd most like to see change and we'll be pushing 
that point um, very strongly in the response that we make to Treasury about the uh, call for evidence. Maybe you could have some sort of issuer-level aggregate short information published by the FCA so that you still have information in the market about what's happening in terms of short activity. But um, with that kind of approach, you would then avoid the issues you have with individualised named disclosure, which, as I say, basically disincentivizes firms from taking short positions. The other big area where we'd like to see changes in terms of reporting to the FCA, it's definitely a burdensome reporting regime and it could be made much less cumbersome without really depriving the regulator of useful information. So, for example, you could allow more time for reporting, you could adjust the thresholds at which firms have to report to the FCA to reduce the overall number of reports that they're making, you could change the FCA's reporting portal itself to make it easier for firms to automate their reporting, upload information in bold. So there's on that front lots of quick wins that we'd um, like to see put into practice quickly. And Adam, how quickly then do you think these changes could materialise? I think it very much depends on how ambitious they are in terms of changing the rules. If it's quite targeted set of changes, it could probably be done within months, I would say. But if they opt for something more radical, then it may, might take more time to deliver. So that's the, the conundrum, I suppose, for industry is how far do we push radical reform that will be slow to deliver? And how much do we uh, focus on getting things done quickly and, and push for more targeted amendments to the regime as it operates? AMA's Next Generation Manager Forum, now in its 10th year, returns to London on Tuesday the 16th of May. The forum provides a platform for the exchange of ideas and the development of peer networking for senior individuals at alternative asset management businesses managing up to $500 million in hedge and private credit assets. Throughout the afternoon, speakers will discuss Next Generation Managers 10 years on, the war for talent, how to acquire and keep it, ESG, implementation and non-negotiables, and investor relations, retention and maintenance. Register today to learn more from the stellar speaker lineup and engage and network with colleagues both old and new. We look forward to welcoming you. Uh, let's turn to you then, Paul. Um, the reforms, some of them include tax proposals. Are these relevant to the alternative investment management sector? Yes, uh, certainly. Uh, there are a number of tax measures included in the Edinburgh reforms. Uh, and the first which we should look at is a consultation on VAT and fund management. However, this is not the consultation on VAT and fund management that everyone was waiting for, which was promised as part of the UK funds review a couple of years ago. And that would have looked at broader possibilities for change. The current consultation, rather in line uh, with the background to the Edinburgh reforms uh, and Brexit, uh, is seeking to entrench in UK VAT law the existing VAT treatment for uh, funds and fund management, uh, as that of course derives from what is currently EU uh, retained law. So this consultation concentrates on the definition of what is a special investment fund for the purposes of the, the VAT exemption. And that is really most relevant to UK retail funds. Now, it goes, can go a bit broader than that, but it's uh, of less uh, relevance to, to most AMA members. Unfortunately, what the 
consultation doesn't do, which it could have done, would have been to make more certain the boundaries of what fund management is. And that is where the, the issues really are currently in terms of uh, working out the, the exemption. However, the, the consultation does have a major uh, issue in it, uh, which is potentially of relevance to AIMA members, in that it leaves, we think unintentionally, unclear whether the present zero rating treatment for managing offshore funds will remain. And that is very important to UK managers of, say, a Cayman hedge fund, because it means the manager doesn't charge VAT on the management and performance fees, but is still able to recover in full the VAT it, it incurs on its costs. Uh, so it would be a, a major issue if that treatment were removed. Now, we understand that it is not intended to make any change to the current position, but it's uh, a point that we have emphasised in our response to the consultation, which was submitted at the end of last week. I'm, I'm Paul. The reforms also address uh, the digital assets sector, and and I see that there is there has been reference to expanding the investment manager exemption to include crypto assets. So, what can you tell our listeners about this? Yes, Tom. That that's right. The investment manager exemption, or IME, uh, is is very important. It permits UK asset managers to carry out transactions on behalf of non-residents without exposing them to UK tax on profits that are realised from those transactions, provided that certain conditions are met and that the assets uh, in which the transactions are being undertaken are included on a, a list of permitted or qualifying investment transactions. And the UK investment management industry has been built on, on that foundation uh, over the last 30 years. Now, this list has now been extended to include digital assets and cryptocurrencies, um, subject to some exceptions. You know, broadly, the effect of the transaction mustn't be to replicate something which would otherwise not have been permitted under the IME. This change is retrospective to the 1st of April 2022, so it's already there uh, and up, and it will be very welcome to those managers who are carrying out transactions for non-residents and non-resident funds uh, in cryptocurrencies and other digital assets. Um, we're very pleased to, to see this because AMA has been arguing for this change for several years now, so it's good that it's there. Thank you, Paul. And is there anything else then within the reforms that relevance to tax, change to tax that's of note? The final one I would mention is that there are some changes to the Real Estate Investment Trust or REIT regime. Um, that's perhaps of less interest to most AMA members, but it's worth noting that this is an outcome from the UK Funds Review, um, like the qualifying asset holding companies regime, which was introduced um, a year or so ago, and which is already proving um, very successful in attracting to the UK 
holding companies, asset holding companies that might otherwise have been set up in Ireland or Luxembourg. And it, it shows that the government has been willing over the last couple of years to listen to what the alternative investment management sector um, wants uh, in terms of things like uh, this and long-term asset funds and uh, removing pension fee caps from um, pension fund investments. Uh, but whether there is currently, in the current position, uh, appetite on the part of government to go further in terms of innovative products is far from certain. And I think that is one of the uh, limitations, certainly on the tax side, from the, the Edinburgh reforms. Thank you, Paul. And, and turning to Adam then, uh, what then are the next steps then regarding these reforms? So the first thing I would say is uh, members should feel free to get in touch if they're interested in getting involved. So we've got a number of working groups on the regulatory front, uh, typically organised thematically. And through those working groups, we are exploring what is in the reform package and developing a position where there is something we need to respond to. So for example, we've got a short selling working group uh, with a very active uh, set of members representative on it. And we're using that group to develop our submission, uh, our response to Treasury's call for evidence. We also as well will be speaking to um, key policymakers as the rules are elaborated on the short selling front, for example. We've already had very good conversations with Treasury and the FCA about the direction of the reform work. And it's always valuable from our perspective to be able to involve members in the conversations because we know they have the direct experience of dealing with the compliance burden associated with regulation and the direct perspective on how changing rules could uh, potentially be helpful from the point of view of how they approach their business activities. So if you would like to be involved in any of our working groups, please do feel free to, to reach out to us and uh, we'll make sure you're on the appropriate groups. I think there will, down the line as well, be a, a role for guidance for member firms to assist them uh, in terms of compliance with the new regime. That's something that uh, we place a big emphasis on in terms of our GRA work and you've probably seen some of the guidance documents that we put together on a whole host of different regulatory areas and in this space um, as much as anywhere else I think there will be a need for support for firms uh, once the rules are changed to make sure they're able to navigate them and understand the new requirements and and we'll be putting a lot of effort in on that front as well. Um, obviously we will as well continue to monitor uh, for any statements from the government about direction of travel on any of what's in the package that might be of interest and keep members up to date. So uh, do expect to see more from us on this topic over the coming months. Thank you, Adam. And, and details as to how to join these various working groups that you mentioned and contact details for both yourself and Paul are available in today's show notes. Um, so that's all we have time for today then. Um, many thanks to you both um, for, for joining us on the Long Short and for offering your excellent insights uh, to the Edinburgh reforms. And we will keep a close eye on developments over the coming months. And we'll speak to you again soon. The Long Short was brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AIMA.org. Thanks for listening.